WHMP. Hello, everybody. It is Wiedergartner Wednesday. It's every month. I have the great privilege of speaking to the mayor of Greenfield, that beautiful city uh, to the north of our headquarters here in the station in Northampton. Hello, Roxanne. Hi there. Hi there. Thanks for joining us as always. So well, my pleasure. Most days. <laughs> <laughs> I hope I hope you'll think it's your pleasure at the end of today. So I um I think I do not want to we, we do want to talk about what's happening with with city council, what's happening with uh-huh. the police department budget, yes, what's yes. happening with coverage from eleven to seven AM effective yes. in uh what? In uh, on February first, I believe. Um but at staffing issues, but I don't now. Yeah, I just don't want to reiterate completely the entire story, although usually what you want to do is set the table. So give me about 60 seconds to say this. Number one, I know you were on um, the Bill Newman show on Monday, and if folks really want a summary of where we're at, please listen to Monday, January 23rd's (laughs) podcast, and uh, there is a good summary. On Friday, before that, the 19th, I had two city councilors from Greenfield on this show, and you can listen to the Afternoon Buzz podcast and get another summary there. Um, And the summary that we need just for today is that in the wake of the judgment um, by Officer Buchanan's jury uh, after the judgment and pre-trial, Pre-trial, pre-judgment and post-judgment interest is uh, about a million dollars. Is currently that verdict is on appeal. That case is on appeal. Um, in May, the city council claiming that it wished to have police reform um, as a response to the request that the funds that the police department get defunded. Instead, they reduced the the budget uh, of the police department, which I think was about three and a half million dollars for the 22-23 fiscal year. They reduced it um, by about 400000 or $425,000. Um, and what happened at the last meeting of the city council, I think it was last Wednesday, um, and there was a special meeting today, which I'm going to give you the opportunity to talk about, Mayor. But at that sure. point, the police chief, Robert Hay, came in and he informed the city council that um, because of a lack of funding, and a lack of officers that from 11 p.m. to 7 a.m., that shift will not be covered starting in February. It will be covered instead by the state police. The state police have now said only if it's a life and death situation will they be covering Greenfield. So Greenfield, sadly, is, I think that's your word, sadly, is not going to have coverage. And the last thing I'm going to say is that there was a $375,000 grant from the United States Department of Justice um, that you were alerted to, in, and the police department was alerted to, I think in October, early October. Yeah. Um, and that $375,000 can be spread over the course of three years to sort of um, uh, assist in the hiring of three officers or so. That is correct. All of that the was correct? Thing, yes. I was going to say, if you're done with your summary. I'm done. Thing. That's my summary. Yeah. The only thing that I would like to augment out of that is that was $400,000 out of the salary line item and 25000 out of some expenses, which happened to be contractual expenses, so really could, can't be cut, um, could not be cut. 
Um, so that is uh, that's it in a nutshell. Are we over now? Is that that, that's the summary. <laughs> that, that that sets the table for my questions, and my questions are not new questions for you. I'm sure you've no, been. Not. I know you've been inundated with with this for some time. The um, the, the city council's cut came back in May, and since then it's been the topic, including on this show between yeah. us, of Very a whole lot of conversation. Yeah. I think right. uh, I have now. I've done my own research, and I don't want to get lost in the weeds, um, and I don't want no. listeners to go to sleep or change it yeah. right <laughs> about the difference between free cash it's and stabilization. That's it. It's a complicated issue, and therefore, you know, you the weeds just grow around complication. <laughs> I think that's true. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and yeah. that's true about a lot of your job and um, yeah. that there, there's more, it's more complicated than it is simple. But here there are some yeah. things that I think people can understand. It seems okay. to me yeah. back in May and I watched a tape back in May, the city council, mo- a majority of the city councilors made it clear that they were looking for some police reform mm-hmm. and whether you like it or not, I guess the question for me, and I don't know if that's political or ideological on their part, but for you, Mayor Roxanne uh, Wiedegardner, is police report reform among your priorities? Oh, well, thanks for asking that question that way. Um, there was a little more to that city council meeting last year than just police reform. Um, if that were the case, and they really knew what they were talking about in police reform, it would actually cost more money in the budget uh, for the police department, not less money. Uh, And I think that's been universally borne out by those cities, and they are all much bigger, for the most part, bigger cities than certainly Greenfield with bigger police budgets, that police reform adds to your staff if you're going to do a true community policing unit with, um, you know, some uh, social workers and civilian people. So, um, so that's, that's a, one of the pieces that we, I guess, disagree on. Um, but I don't think they were thinking about, because they'd never really had a conversation, a full conversation with the police department or me or the police department, Chief Haig and I, about what police reform would look like in Greenfield. Well, that's if, I guess I, that's had, my real question to you, Roxanne. Is yes, for yes. you, is police reform in Greenfield one of your priorities, or do you well, think the way that it was was fine? Well, not fine, but you know, by making life difficult for the police department and certainly the police chief in cutting the budget, which would have resulted in layoffs, could potentially have resulted in layoffs of eight officers, our newest officers, Um, that they've lost or missed a chance with one of the best advocates that we have in policing in Western Massachusetts for certain levels of police reform um, that, you know, uh, and that is in Chief Haig, and I think he's proven that because he was one of the first departments here in Western Massachusetts to um, start up a community policing unit that was dedicated, that would be dedicated with um, social workers to handle those mental health calls that um, that often crap, crap, <laughs> crop up uh, quite often. 
uh, and he went out and he found a grant uh, to uh, work with CSO. Um, we now have... That's um, clinical and support options. Yes, Inc. clinical and support options, a social service agency. So we have three social workers, um, a community police officer. There's two, at least two officers uh, who provide that type of policing. Uh, the social workers can do ride-alongs. They can be called in later. They can come, uh, they can be resources for people that they've had to uh, either bring into the police station uh, under arrest or have had to, you know, refer to the hospitals and so forth. So um, that program is working well um, so far. Uh, unfortunately, one of the officers who was slated to be laid off was one of those uh, the sort of the main uh, community policing officer. Um, he has not been laid off. Um, I won't go into the weeds of how we've managed to get to this point, but it is salient in that we made the decision back in May, uh, Deputy Chief, then Acting Chief Bill Gordon, working with Chief Haig, who was on leave of absence, and myself, made the decision to fund the department with the budget that we had for as long as we could because we knew that there would be some attrition within the department. By that, I mean retirements, people scheduled to go on to the State Police Academy, a couple of people um, maybe deciding to, you thought they wanted to continue policing but decided you know, based on COVID and different things. That right, and we do happy. know that there have been two supervisors that have retired, uh, Lieutenant yes. uh, Dan McCarthy, yes. and yes. in today's paper I saw that David Rice, a sergeant, Rice, has yes. been with the almost a quarter of a century yeah. with Greenfield yeah. Police. But so the, yeah. the burning so question which a lot of your critics keep raising is yeah. why after you learned that the uh, city council was going to uh, reduce the, bu the yeah. three and a half million dollar budget by something like 10% or uh, yeah. maybe even a little more than that. Yeah. Um, yeah. You had from May and certainly until October when you found out yeah. that you had that other grant. But uh, according to the city councilors that we talked to last week, they didn't really understand that this was going to cause the night shift. They could have done a lot of things. And when I mentioned in the beginning of the show, Free cash, free cash, which takes a simple majority to use, uh, as opposed to stabiliz stabilization money, which takes yeah. a two-thirds supermajority to use. Yeah. Free cash was available that is now not available because it was put into uh, the stabilization fund. Why wasn't the mayor's office in communication with the city council about this is what's going to happen? We're going to be left unprotected. Well, let me answer that first question about police reform. Uh, that you asked me if you don't mind me doing that, and then I Please. will try to get to, to your second question there, which is also not easy to answer. Uh, is a complicated one, but um, I uh, police reform is important to me. I would like to see it be data driven, um, particularly because it was, from their perspective, a reaction to um, to the to the verdict, and uh, of course goes all the way back to the George George Floyd. 
um, killing. Um, but as I said, the chief was certainly will is certainly willing to entertain conversations about different ways that this police department can operate once it is fully staffed. Um, and I am going to be part of those conversations. And I attempted to by asking for $100,000 for a, a police department audit. So I did go to the council for an appropriation of $100,000. Um, and that audit was first to determine and give us some data on how does our police department work? Where are the potential places for racial bias? Or where are the um, you know exact examples of racial bias. Um, it was important to me to get that kind of data. We're a small department. We're never going to be able to have uh, police reform that doesn't also involve police officers. Um, so um, we, the city council turned that down. So it, it, it felt to me like there was a problem I wanted to get data on and have it be resolved, and they basically didn't want to do that. But that uh, would have been for an audit. That wasn't data. for... Right, that was for an yeah, audit, and, and as important as there, that... Go ahead. From there, we have data that says, <coughs> you know, here is here are your you know, recommendations from the audit. And I think that would have triggered, <coughs> once we knew... From there for a second. I'm sorry. The mayor needs uh, some water. I understand I've got, that. Um, I've got a little bit here. Yeah. <laughs> As someone on I the air that. every day, yeah. I know that I, feeling very well. And I might need to go grab a lozenge. Mm -hmm. But anyway, um, point of that is, I I wanted the I wanted the results of that to um, to give us the information about the um, uh, about whether or not how how to what extent racial bias really enters into our policing, because I think that's a lot of what they want uh, as, a, as a ground, ground, you know, an underpinning of police reform. Right. Well, and I'm going to give you, we have to take a, uh, a break. And um, when we come back, because you need a lozenge. And I Because I'm being told I need to take a break. Okay. And when we come back, I want to t talk about, but it's personnel staffing, not just the $100,000 you sought to find yeah. out whether or not uh, there was discriminatory. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to do that. When we come back, Roxanne is going to go get a lozenge. Take care, Mayor, and we'll be right back. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. How important are our local community colleges to all the cities and towns in Western Massachusetts? Join us when we speak with the longtime former president of Greenfield Community College, Robert Pura, co-author of the new book, The Community's College. Robert Pura will be our guest Thursday at 9 o'clock. Get in on the conversation. Bill Newman, weekdays at 9 and again at 5. WHMP, news, information, and the arts. Get down with your hometown, a free online music festival featuring local and national artists and benefiting North Star, the Institute for Musical Arts, and the Shea Theater, Saturday and Sunday, January 28th and 29th. 
some of our featured artists include the Indigo Girls, Rachel Price, Jamie Kent, Chris Smither, Martin Sexton, Suitcase Junket, Elon Jewell, Winter Pills, June Millington, and more. Tune in, getdownhometown.com. Bird Watchers Wanted at Weinzig Nursery. If you like watching the birds and you want to see variety, keep in mind that Weinzig Nursery is your bird feeding headquarters. Browse through a large selection of feeders, including squirrel-resistant feeders, hanging feeders, pole feeders, and finch feeders, plus all the seed you may ever need to attract cardinals, nuthatches, titmouse, chickadees, blue jays, buntings, grosbeaks, and birds of every color. Make some fine feathered friends this winter. Visit Weinzig Nursery on Route 9 in Hadley and at weinzignursery.com. The Western Mass Business Show with local dynamo Tara Brewster, Saturdays at 11 and Sundays at 2, only on WHMP. Brought to you by Greenfield Savings Bank with offices all throughout Hampshire and Franklin counties. Greenfieldsavings.com. The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. And we are back with Mayor Roxanne Wiedergartner, who always uh, graciously gives us time to talk to her constituents and to us about understanding what's going on up in Greenfield. And I know, Mayor, you have a pretty important meeting to go to today, don't you? I do, yes. And that's going to be with the council that we're talking about, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So my question before we took a break was really, uh, and I do understand you asked for $100,000 in order to uh, do an appropriate assessment of how um, uh, policing did or did not, in Greenfield, did or did not invoke discriminatory uh, motivations. Um, But I was asking you about personnel that in May when the council, I don't have the date, I want to say the 19th, I'm not sure, but in May, there was still another six weeks in that fiscal year, um, which ends on June 30th every year. Um, and to go back here in, in the law, what we do if we think the judge is missing something, we make a motion for reconsideration. You, as the executive branch, can go to the legislative branch and say either before the budget or ended the fiscal year ended or the next one, you made a mistake. We're going to not have coverage for a whole shift if we still go, if you go through with these cuts, we have to pull the money from somewhere else. Why didn't we do that? Well, to answer the free cash question, uh, we did have a very nice infusion of free cash this year, following two years of one of those two years having no free cash and the other one having a very minimal amount. Those would be the years of COVID 20 and 21. Um, but we had a lot of different places that that money had to go, not the least of which was um, around $600,000 of the four, uh, roughly $4 million that had to be um, given to um, back to the citizens, back to the taxpayers. And that was as a result of a um, an error and um, the the assessor didn't make the error. The assessor caught the error, but it was it had to do with some payments um, that we were owed by the utility companies Eversource, and I feel like Wemco was involved too. Um, that um, caused us to um, have a higher 
uh, taxation than we needed to once we recovered those funds, which had to go into free cash. So we felt that we had to send um, to certainly give back to the taxpayer. We are in the process of negotiating teachers' contracts, and actually all school contracts and all city contracts. And our stable contract stabilization um, needed bolstering. Um, and our capital stabilization. We have a lot of uh, capital projects that we have here. So money from that, um, you know, there was about $2.5 million that went into capital stabilization that they cut by 300000 in hopes that we would give that 300000 to the teachers uh, to into contract stabilization. It remains at $2.2 million, but there you're, you're already at, um, you know, $3 million roughly with the 650000 We put money, several hundred thousand, into contract stabilization. Our contract stabilization fund covers the first year of a, any contract that hasn't been able to be covered in the negotiation, you know, in the prior mm -hmm. year budget or whatever. So we have to always keep enough money in there to anticipate um, people, d different departments needing to tap into that. And that's what stabilization yeah. is. It's a rainy day fund. So I guess... Yeah, it's a rainy the, day fund. So yeah, we and basically... And we have to keep... You have to keep... This is a Department of Revenue thing, uh, especially to maintain our good financial position that we do have. And that is you have to keep several hundred thousand, if not a million, if you have it, in your in your free cash. Yeah. Well, you've been responsive to my questions. I feel like I didn't do a good job because we're running out of time. And I guess the big question that's facing yes. Greenfield that's, that, that is, what are we going to do about an 11 to 7 a.m. shift that's unfunded? Mm -hmm. And with the idea of we have this grant, um, sitting in, in the in, in our back pockets um, yeah. for the next few years, and how is our mayor going to get along with our city council? There was a vote of no confidence of the chief, um, mm -hmm. the last meeting, and and you escaped a vote of no confidence. But there were five of the thirteen members who voted no confidence with respect to you. How are we going to bridge this gap? What are you going to do to reach out to the city council? To work. Okay, I will try to do it very quickly, and I'd also like to, if I have a chance, to correct Dan, um, Dan's friend. Um, but I'll start with that. So um, the the it's never easy to deliver bad news um, to any about anything, but particularly around public safety. So it wasn't something that we did on a lark last week. It was the least worst option of no good options. However, uh, based on that meeting, which was fraught, <laughs> contentious, but helpful to hear the objections and the questions and the concerns of the council. So Chief Haig and I heard them. Um, their concerns are our concerns. Um, and I asked him as we were leaving the building uh, last Wednesday, to go back to the drawing board and do everything he could to find another way uh, to save the midnight shift if he could. And I knew that he had looked at all options. 
and that was no surprise, should not have been a surprise to them because that was definitely one of the options that was put out on the table back in the spring when they cut the budget as to how you're going to be, how you're going to work without officers, police officers. And that was certainly on the table. Um, but anyway, um, we have a meeting tonight, and um, I think um, the chief did what I asked him to, and working with his police officers, I think we will present them with a plan that, um, you know, I guess it's our last final plan. It's the Hail Mary. <laughs> well, all of you us know are... what a Hail Mary is. <laughs> <laughs> well, all of us are hoping that that it gets worked out and that um, yeah. that uh, the yeah. citizens of Greenfield can feel safe yeah. and protected uh, from 11 o'clock to 7 a.m. And oh, uh, FY22 police budget was three million seven hundred and fifty-two thousand four hundred and twenty-seven. So it's about a hundred thousand less. So so the More. request for the FY less. So the request for the FY23 budget from the mayor. Um, so that was the budget that they, that's the mayor's line. The mayor's column is what they're voting on was $3,839,101. Got it. Okay. <laughs> Mayor Roxanne Wiedergartner, thank you so much. Um, and I'm really looking forward to, we're going to have this new show, which is Talk to Talk yeah. with Bill and I. It begins, on, we're going to launch it, as they say, on Monday and uh, I'm really so glad that you're going to remain a part of it. It's great that. Uh, Does that mean I get double teamed? I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> you should bring Danny in to help you out. It'll be I mano a mano. I got two lawyers breathing down my neck. <laughs> <laughs> but appreciatively. So thank you so much, Roxanne. And good luck in your right. meeting tonight. Obviously, oh, we all hope you. that it works out. I do too. All righty. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye bye. We are going to be back with an interesting thing with Nan Parati. It actually is a very interesting thing we're going to talk about today. Her guest is fascinating. We'll be right back after these messages. Stay with us. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. A Westfield man will spend 17 years in prison after pleading guilty to manslaughter in the death of his eight-month-old daughter. 32-year-old Daniel Torres agreed to the sentence after being indicted by a grand jury for second-degree murder for beating his baby to death in 2018. Torres was watching his daughter while the baby's mother was at work. He called 911 to say he discovered the baby unresponsive, but later admitted to striking the infant. A medical examiner found swelling in the brain, bruising on the spine and face, as well as broken ribs and collarbone. Torres' defense attorney, Donald Frank, said his client accepted the plea deal to avoid putting family members through further pain. Projections for the total cost of building a new school for K-5 students at the Fort River School site in Amherst are now below $100 million. The new plans included cost-saving measures and lowering the anticipated expenses for contingencies and furniture. The plan was presented to the Town Council, Finance Committee, and Elementary School Building Committee Monday night with a new estimate cost of $97.97 million. The town share is approximately $55.27 million for the 105,000-square-foot building that is scheduled to open in the fall of 2026.
And several communities and police departments have announced parking bans for the winter storm today. And MassDOT is reminding drivers to keep up to date with travel conditions. MassDOT says drivers should make smart decisions about when they depart, the routes they take, and allow extra time to reach your destination. Snow will be steady and occasionally heavy this afternoon with a high in the low 30s. Snow accumulations 2 to 4 inches south of Northampton, 3 to 6 inches north of Northampton. Snow mixes with and changes over to rain and sleet this evening. Overnight low of 28 to 34. We're dry tomorrow with partial sunshine and a high in the low 40s. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. Hey, what's up? It's Jason with the Weather Channel and SnowCountry.com. Tempur-Pedic adapts to your body's needs to help you fall asleep faster and stay asleep longer, so ditch the eye masks. Head to Ashley and find your perfect Tempur-Pedic. From soft, smooth cruisers to well-covered natural runs and glades, multiple storms over the past week have really transformed the ski season, and we'll enjoy it all again today as yet another round of fresh snow moves in. At Berkshire East, over two dozen runs is more than three-quarters of their trails. Jiminy Peak skiing three dozen. They've got action till 10 p.m. every night of the week. Ski Butternut on over three-quarters of their runs. Ski Sundown at about 90% in Connecticut. They've got action till 10 p.m. every night of the week. Killington up near 140 trails, 66 miles of action. Now, Smugglers Notch skiing 90% of their trails. And this report brought to you by Smugglers Notch, Vermont, where family funds guaranteed. Visit smugs.com and check out more at snowcountry.com. I'm Jason Dean. That stabbing pain in your neck that keeps you up at night. Ugh. The creaking noise you hear while climbing the stairs. Well, if you ruled out that your neck pain isn't your partner, and the creaking noise isn't the stairs, and it's your knee, maybe it's time to make an appointment with the physical therapy team at New England Orthopedic Surgeons. And at New England Orthopedic Surgeons Physical Therapy, you don't have to be a patient to set up an appointment. Whatever you need, the physical therapist at New England Orthopedic Surgeons will work with your primary care doctor to ensure you're getting the exact treatment for your injury and severity of pain. Physical therapy can be a great option if surgery isn't. Call or go online to set up your appointment today at a location near you in Northampton, East Longmeadow, Springfield, Feeding Hills, or Ludlow and get physical with New England Orthopedic Surgeons Physical Therapy. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. And hello again. We are back, and we are here with Nan Parati's interesting thing this week. Nan, what is your interesting thing this week? <laughs> we're talking about death today, but we're talking about an interesting part of death. My friend and, and, and guest today is Laura Cottingham, who is a death doula, which I'd never actually heard of. I always thought doulas brought people into the world. Turns out they also help take them out. And so... I, Laura and I were talking one day and she's telling me about this. And so, Laura, welcome. Thank you so much for being with us today. Well, thank you for having me. I'm glad to be on your show today. Thanks. Um, you know, so yes, indeed, I've always heard of birth doulas, never death doulas. Is this a new thing or where does this come from? You know, it's not, it's not very new. Uh, there's been customs uh, in countries throughout the world that have uh, participated in, in rituals uh, for the dying um, and, and the dead. Um, and, you know, in, in modern day, uh, I guess in the U.S., in modern day, you know, we're, we're finally seeing it, uh, it come forth um, as uh, a, 
an opportunity to to assist people, you know, with, with dying. You know, baby boomers are the uh, are the generation that are coming of age, and and you know we're we're seeing um, more and more people interested in uh, you know helping uh, uh, with that. And so the doula concept has uh, gaining popularity uh, for sure. Uh, uh, the end of death doula concept. And, uh, you know, that's what I've been studying uh, for the last several years and uh, working with families and people that uh, are dying. And, and what, uh, yes. What exactly, what exactly do you do? How, what is your job? <laughs> well, basically, I assist people, uh, uh, help them, I guess, for lack of a better word, experience a good death if they can. You know, dying... Uh, you know, people don't want to think about dying, and um, and they don't like to talk about it. They feel like it's a morbid topic. But you know, there are only two things that are factual uh, as a human species, and that's you know, we're born and then we die. And so, preparing for birth, you know, we we've always you know, when, when a child's coming in and a mother's pregnant, she's uh, preparing for the birth of her child. She's getting the baby room ready. Um, you know, it's an event. And, you know, dying should be looked upon as the same thing. Um, it, it needs to be looked upon, in my opinion, um, as much as possible, uh, as, you know, a joyful and peaceful thing, um, you know, when you're leaving uh, your physical body. Uh, it, sh it should be experienced in not as sad, you know, not as sad as it, it, it tends to be, and people uh, play it out that way, you know, it needs to be more joyful. I know that when my dad died, he was a very, very happy guy. His last words were, I'm free. And I thought, wow, free of what? You had a good life. I mean, and he always did. He was a very funny guy. And so that made me kind of think, hmm, I wonder what's out there. Is is I thought that was when I really started thinking about death as an actually joyful experience. What are the kinds of things that you experience when you are with people and, and they are going on? Um, well, as a death doula, and, and there are several, uh, several different types of death doulas, uh, some focusing more on just end of life, uh, holistic care. You know, death doulas aren't, they don't provide medical care. That's what hospice uh, does, but death doulas support families and the dying person um, with uh, a lot of times the spiritual aspects of dying, um, as well as some of the business aspects. You know, dying, you know, death is a business. And uh, there's, you know, you always hear, oh, they better get their affairs in order. And, you know, so I help do that. I help to get the affairs in order. Uh, it, it's very important to do that because a lot of times there's confusion. Um, family members are dis in disagreement about certain uh, issues, especially when the loved one can't speak for themselves. Um, so I try to help do that. And, you know, there's, there's no need to wait to plan your death. And people... <laughs> of course, don't think about that. They don't want to think about it. Some some people think it's a sad and depressing thing, but but it shouldn't be. You know, only 37, I, I recently saw a statistic, only 37% of 
of people have completed advanced directives and planning um, in case something happens, you know, and they're not able to speak for themselves. Um, and, you know, having a plan um, makes the process, you know, from the business standpoint, it, it makes it so much nicer and easier and you don't have to worry about it. And, uh, you know, things are in place and your family members know what you want, uh, whether it's in writing um, or not, if, if you're clear on what you want, then there's no argument. Um, you know, there's no family members arguing around uh, the bedside of a loved one that may be on a ventilator and can't speak for themselves as to what decision needs to be made. And so having that in advance um, helps to provide for a meaning, meaningful death. And so you help do things like that. And then are you with the process all the way through? Are you with the person as they are actually passing on? Or does your, does your job stop at that point? No, typically a, a, a full service, I guess, death doula, uh, uh, end of life doula is also, it's called, uh, is there to help the family from basically the beginning uh, through, through the end. And, uh, you know, we're available to be at the bedside and to provide holistic care for the, for the dying person and uh, the family as well, uh, as long as we're needed. And, and then afterwards, do you, I, I, yes, I'm, I'm so interested in this because I know that there are a lot of people who were, just, you know, we're all, not all of us, but a lot of us are older, like you said, the baby boomers. And, and this is so much to think about. My question is, do you, what, what, what do people do who don't have kids, who don't have family like me? I don't have any children. I've got nieces. What kind of things would I take care of before I get to that point? I'm not going to die for a long time, but just in case. Yes, no, and just in case, and that's the operative word, you know, we, we all hope for longevity and we all expect to, to live long, but you know, that you could get hit by a bus, you know, tomorrow, you know, it's, you don't yeah. know. And if you have some directives in writing, um, then there is no argument, uh, you know, that, that anyone, anyone can do, you know, if, if you, um, if an ambulance comes, their their mission, the, the paramedics in the ambulance mission is to do whatever it takes uh, to keep you alive. And you know, when, when you're taken to the emergency room, the, the the doctors and staff in the emergency room are going to do whatever it takes to keep you alive. Um, and if that means putting you on a ventilator uh, or or some major directives, then that's what they're going to do. But if if you have uh, a living will and advanced directives in place and you've appointed a family member to uh, execute, you know, that document and those wishes, um, uh, then there's no question. And so that's why it's important to do planning in advance, um, have those advanced directives, have a will so people know what your wishes are. Um, make sure you have power of attorney uh, that someone is appointed uh, as an exec uh, executor of your estate and that they also have 
uh, and it doesn't have to be the same person, but you also have someone that has medical power of attorney. In most states, those are two different documents. Um, there's a business power of attorney, and then there's a medical power of attorney. And let's talk about medical power of attorney for a minute, because that, that's what's important. Um, whoever you appoint as medical power of attorney, they are essentially your voice. If you can't speak for yourself, they are your voice and, and they are you. So they, that person, when, when they're able to, like now today, you know, to, to appoint someone as medical power of attorney and tell them what you want. Do you want a DNR, um, which stands for do not resuscitate? Um, or, or do you want to be kept alive by all, by any means possible? no matter what, you know, they have to be your voice and you have to be clear on, you know, what, what you think you want. And, you know, it can be changed, you know, if you do it, you know, we're, you know, we're, of course, in our 60s, 70s, whatever, or, you know, the baby boomers. So, you know, we don't plan to die soon, but anything can happen. And if you appoint someone now, you can, all, you can change it. You know, you may you may want something now in your will. You may want someone to have something, uh, a memorabilia or, or a certain uh, account, trust account, and you may change your mind. You know, you can change that document, but having it in place is what's important and what's key, and uh, okay. it helps from the business standpoint. Okay, we're going to take a break. We are talking with Nan Parati's interesting thing for the week is Laura Cottingham, a professional end-of-life doula. I just want to point out, because it's a Massachusetts uh, audience that we're talking to here, we do not have um, uh, powers of attorney for this. We do have healthcare proxies in Massachusetts, and I guess when we come back, it's a question that I would uh, love to hear Laura speak to, is uh, how do we know when we should go to an attorney to deal with getting our financial uh, stuff in order and our healthcare proxies in order versus a an end-of-life doula such as Laura Cottingham. We'll be talking about that when we come back right after these messages. Stay with us. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. And when the broken-hearted people Living in the world agree There will be an answer Let it be For though there may be Who's on your list of favorite duos? Thelma and Louise? Batman and Robin? Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson? Fred and Ginger? Here's a suggestion. Bill and Buzz. Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, lawyers who together have represented people on death row and at Guantanamo Bay, are now teaming up for Talk the Talk on WHMP. Talk the Talk. Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. Weekdays at 9 and again at 4. Starting next Monday on WHMP. News, information, and the arts. What is Brockton, Massachusetts known for? For me, Brockton means a good night's sleep. Because Brockton is where they make therapeutic mattresses. Not Tempur-Pedic. Not trying to mislead you here. Therapeutic. The lesser-known mattress made in Massachusetts. Does that alone mean they're any good? It doesn't. But they are good. In fact, they're great. On par with famous name mattresses that cost a lot more. Hi, it's Robin from Talon Furniture. 
A lot of people have purchased a Therapeutic mattress at Talon Furniture over the years, at least a thousand, and they're all sleeping well. A Therapeutic mattress really is as good as the famous name mattress. And they're made by fellow Bay Staters. In the grand scheme of the global mattress economy, Therapeutic is close to home. You like eating local? Try sleeping local. What I really love is, a Therapeutic mattress is clean. No toxic chemicals or off-gassing. I've walked the factory floor. I've seen how they're made. Talon Furniture, home of Therapeutic, just down the hill from Amherst College, in the sleepy part of town. Come on over to the co-op, the Greenfield Cooperative Bank. Hi, I'm Jay Sealer, Vice President Commercial Lending at Greenfield Cooperative Bank and its Northampton Co-op Bank Division. Our team of commercial lenders are here to help you and your business grow this year. I'm Maura Guzik, Vice President Commercial Lending. We're a small business administration preferred lender and all of our lenders at the co-op have individual lending authority, which means fast local decisions so you can get back to business. I'm Adam Baker, Vice President of Commercial Lending. Are you ready to chat with one of our experienced local lenders? Visit bestlocalbank.com or meet with us in person at any of our Franklin or Hampshire County locations. Or if it's more convenient, we'll even meet you at your business. So come on over to the co-op and see me, Jay Sealer. Or me, Maura Guzik. Or me, Adam Baker. Greenfield Cooperative Bank is an equal housing lender, member FDIC, member DIF. You can count on your friends at the co-op. Want to support the kind of talk you hear on the afternoon buzz? Want to hear your business's message here on WHMP? Email us, yourmessage at whmp.com. We'll help you craft a marketing message that'll reach listeners of your favorite WHMP show. And you'll be supporting the local news, Valley Talk, and progressive voices you hear right here on WHMP. Let us know about your message. Email us, yourmessage at whmp.com, and add your message to our mission. And hear your message right here on WHMP, your message at whmp.com. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. And we are back with Nan Parati and her guest, Laura Cottingham, a professional end-of-life doula who helps people and their families sort of sort out the end-of-life stuff, which all of us will have to sort out. So, Nan. Yeah, but let's go back, Buzz. You were just asking right before the break, and we talked about it during the break. Since you're a lawyer... Ask that same question again, that because of what, what this difference is between Massachusetts, where we live, and then Laura lives in Louisiana. So ask that question again. Right. Well, Laura was pointing out, we, we call, we have a healthcare proxy um, here, not uh, not a power of attorney for for health matters. But I think that's that might be just semantics. But my real question for Laura is, when would why would people go to a doula, end-of-life doula, rather than going to... Uh, an attorney who deals with trust and estates. Well, there are two parts to the doula, and I think we we touched mostly in this first segment on the business aspect of dying, and that's you know having an advance directive, planning in advance, uh, having your will in order, uh, having a proxy of as you call it in Massachusetts and other states actually call that, uh, but appointing an executor of your estate. Um, you know, having bank account and other information uh, uh, accessible to, you know, the person that's your executor, um, sorting out your possessions and who gets what, uh, retirement accounts, storage units. Uh, right. And all of that is something that, that if you went to an attorney, an attorney, perhaps for more money, I don't know, but an attorney would, would definitely advise you to do all of those things. But my question is, what does a doula do that the attorney doesn't do? 
Well, a doula steps in uh, uh, not only the business aspects, but provides the holistic and spiritual aspects of the dying. Uh, and, and that's really key. Um, you know, we, we come into this world and we leave this world and to be able to have the opportunity to leave it uh, as, as peaceful as possible. Um, I think that, you know, most, hopefully most listeners, uh, uh, you know, have, uh, are spiritual. Uh, I think we've all grown up to know that there is something beyond this physical third dimensional life that we live day in and day out. Uh, that our spirit uh, moves and transcends uh, heaven, um, however you want to uh, frame it. Um, so I think it's important to create a sacred space um, for the dying. It, it's not often um, it can happen, you know, if, if you're in a hospital or if you're in uh, a, a, a facility, assisted living or a nursing home, um, you know, it, it can happen, uh, but if you're if you're home and you're able to have that, it, it's wonderful to be able to create an, a sacred space, a calm space, uh, creating that with soft musics, um, candle or low lights. You know, the, have a, have your favorite blanket on you, uh, have your loved ones around you, scented oils uh, help. Um, having, you know, massaging the hands and feet, uh, you know, if, uh, if that uh, is something that would help provide comfort, um, uh, you know, combing, combing the hair, um, th these are all very important uh, so that you can have a nice, peaceful, meaning, meaningful death. Um, and they doula also provides support to the family members. Because uh, sometimes it's hard for them. They're in shock. They're in disbelief, uh, and and they need some guidance. So having someone there to to calm them and explain to them that it, it should be peaceful. You know, if you're terminal, and it's time. You know, it's time. Let's make it as peaceful as possible. Um, often we've seen uh, patients, you know, who who have had loved ones. Uh, stand on their bedside and cry like please don't die please don't die and that's not always the best and in the best interest um, when a person is suffering um, and and it's inevitable that that they're in the last you know days or hours uh, of life um, we want it to be more beautiful and you know loving you know hold their hand um, talk about times when, you know, they remember when we went on vacation at the lake and, you know, bring up wonderful memories and, and try to make it a more peaceful and joyful experience rather than a sad and dismal um, passing. And that's primarily what the death doula does. You know, hospice comes in and they're beautiful. Um, hospice nurses, they come in, they, they provide the medical care, uh, administer medicine, do what needs to be done um, to help the patient be as comfortable as possible, but, but they have to move on. A doula can stand by and, and stay and help to, to keep a peaceful environment and help the family, give them the nurturing that they need 
and you know, make sure that the patient is, continues to be as comfortable as possible in the process. We only have one minute left. Um, do, do you know whether or not there are end-of-life doulas in Massachusetts? Uh, yes, there are doulas everywhere. There's actually uh, an association, uh, the National End-of-Life Doula Alliance, which has a directory that uh, uh, with doulas in every state. Uh, their web address, if you don't mind, I'll give you that. Sure. Is, uh, yep. It's www.nedaallianc.org. All right. It's Laura, that's so interesting. I really appreciate it. Really appreciate this. This is great. Like I say, you know, we all have parents who are going. We ourselves will go at some point. And I really appreciate your being here to talk about this straightforward business. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, you know, the, the, the point is begin the conversation. Uh, it doesn't have to be sad. Begin mm -hmm. it now, you know, about death and dying. It's important and everyone should know what, what your wishes are. Right. Well, right. thank you so much for joining us, Laura. Thank you so much. Uh, I hope that your work down there goes well in New Orleans, Nan. Thank you. Thank you. Well, we're right. having a good time. There's no snow. That's that's still we still have no snow here. Well, Mardi Gras around the corner, isn't it? This true, it is. <laughs> it is. All right. It might not be snow in the air, but there will be beads very exactly. soon. Exactly. I was just going to say that. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> okay. Thank you both for joining us, and thank you all for joining us today. Tomorrow is Thursday. We will have some sustainability messages from our good friend Brian Adams, and of course, Jazz from Ruth Griggs. Join us tomorrow on the afternoon buzz. Have a good evening. On me, Jesus. This is the you Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 1015 WHMP. My body's aching and my time is at hand. How long and how hard would you work to own your own home? At Pioneer Valley Habitat for Humanity, future homeowners contribute dozens of hours to build a home for their family, but they need your help. Thousands of community supporters have participated in this work since 1989. They create a partnership with a future homeowner and Habitat Live to build a home, strengthen our neighborhood. For Northampton and the Valley places. since 1950. WHMP Northampton. WHMQ Greenfield. A Northampton Radio Group Station.